Well, that great and awesome God has also called us to a great and awesome task. We continue on the journey in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 38 this morning. I invite you to listen for God's Word. Jesus said, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? So, gracious God, we come to these challenging words from the Sermon on the Mount. We ask, O Lord, that you would open our eyes and ears this morning and speak to us as only a living God can. For we pray in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, perhaps you've heard the story of the traveler who boarded boarded a train in New York City. Immediately, he went to the porter on the train, and he said, look, I want to get off this train in Washington, D.C., but once I'm asleep, it's very difficult for me to wake up. Sometimes I say nasty things. I mean, I get kind of mean. So here's $50 he gave to the porter. He said, please, no matter what I say, don't be offended. Just wake me up and put me off the train in Washington, D.C. Hours later, he awakened as the train was pulling into the Richmond, Virginia station, 100 miles past Washington, D.C. The man woke up furious. He found the porter. He gave him a piece of his mind, angrily denounced him for his incompetence. And the conductor was watching all of this, and as the man departed from the porter, he approached the porter himself, and he said, what happened? I've never seen anyone that mad before. And the, por the porter replied, that's nothing. You should have seen the guy that I put off the train in Washington. <laughs> Life doesn't always go smoothly. Sometimes conflicts emerge, how we handle the interactions and exchanges that are necessary in life with one another, it says a lot about us. 
We can create friends or enemies by how we handle our daily activities, how we interact with the people in our lives, and you never know what kind of significance is behind those chance encounters that we have every day. Now, I've told you that my brother was a state highway patrol for his entire career, and he has a lot better stories than I do. Uh, it's the reason there are more cop shows than there are minister shows on television. <laughs> he lived in a small town in northern Minnesota and was captain of the local unit. Had many encounters with drivers and those who were breaking the law. His job was to protect and serve the community, but in his own understanding, because of his faith, he understood his job to be more like those words of Micah, to seek justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with his God. On one occasion, he pulled over two young men, teenagers, who were getting ready for a big party on a Friday night. They had a cooler full of beer, but they were underage. And they were caught red-handed. So my brother turned to one of them and asked him, Is this your cooler? The boy quickly concluded, If I acknowledge that, I'm in trouble. So he said, No, officer, it's not mine. And the captain turned to the other boy and he said, Is this your cooler? No, officer, it's not mine. So my brother paused for a moment and then he said, Well... There's only three of us here. It must be mine. <laughs> and with that, he picked up the cooler, put it in his squad car, and drove away. <laughs> Justice and kindness. And some free beer for the next party of the squad. Our text this morning is about justice and kindness. It's about forgiveness and healing. Once again, we consider the Sermon on the Mount and we come to the final two, the culmination of these antitheses of Jesus about, this morning, retaliation, loving our enemies. Both seem impractical, really. Nice ideals, but it just doesn't really work that way in the real world. Retaliation, dealing with others when you've been wronged. Turn the other cheek. Walk the extra mile. Love your enemies. Be perfect. Flies in the face, in the face of much of what we really believe is the correct way to protect ourselves and those we love in this world. It even sounds like a prescription for being taken advantage of and abused. Now, the desire, certainly, of revenge and retaliation can be enormous. Violence begets violence, one analyst reported on the news hour not long ago. It would seem that the words of Jesus and the ethics they convey are somewhat remote in most of our experience. The way to a safer, more humane world, we seem to believe, is to fight back the cowboy up. Retaliation is a natural response when we've been wronged in some way. We want repayment in kind, some retribution, a little reprisal. 
to take out our vengeance on the perpetrator. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Lex talionis. The same root words from the Latin for retaliation. It's a phrase that refers to the principle that a punishment inflicted should correspond in degree and kind with the offense of the wrongdoer. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Retributive justice. Prior to the development of this whole idea of text of lex talionis in ancient law, the retaliation depended upon who had the power. It's kind of like the uh, law of organized crime. You hurt me and my family, we strike back harder and deeper. But it only continues the cycle of violence when you respond to force with force of greater magnitude and things escalate. It's kind of the Hatfields and McCoys all over again. Last week in the paper, in an article written by Phil Kay, a former Marine who served in Iraq in 2007, he was in a logistics unit that managed key resources like truck drivers, engineers, explosive disposal specialists, and most importantly, crucially, doctors. One day, a Marine arrived on the base with severe wounds. He'd been shot by an enemy sniper. The medical staff swarmed around his body, working frantically and skillfully, but it wasn't enough. He died on the table. Now, normally, there would have been a moment of silence. There would have been an opportunity for prayer. But the team got word that the man who had killed this young Marine, the insurgent sniper, was going to be arriving in just a few minutes. The dead Marine squad had engaged in a firefight and shot the sniper a few times, and then they patched him up, and they bandaged him, and they called for a casualty evacuation to save the life of the man who had killed their friend. And when he arrived at the base, the medical team went to work. They stabilized their enemy, and they pumped him full of American blood donated by other Marines. And the sniper lived. They put him on a helicopter to go to a hospital for follow-up care. A Navy nurse was assigned to transport the patient, and he told the author of the strangeness of sitting there monitoring vital signs for an enemy combatant who was peacefully unconscious with painkillers and whose heartbeat was steady and strong thanks to the gift of blood from those Marines he would have liked to kill. The author goes on in the article to say these weren't exceptional acts of courage or moral decision making. This is standard policy, part of the tradition that stretches all the way back to the Revolutionary War when George Washington ordered every soldier in the Continental Army to sign a copy of rules that were intended to limit harm to civilians and to ensure that their conduct respected what he called 
the rights of humanity so that by their restraint they would, quote, justly secure to us the attachment of all good men. Ever since the Revolutionary War, our soldiers have been trained to care for the enemy. We all have to live by principles, by some moral code, by, to, to seek some highest ideals rather than the lowest common denominator. It's clear that today our country is engaged in a serious rethinking of our ideals, our commitments, and our values. But it cannot be allowed to descend into battle lines between us and them. Individually and corporately, we must seek to live from our highest and our best values. In 1967, the Presbyterian Church added a confessional statement to our Book of Confessions. And in that confession of 67, they said this, the church in its own life is called to practice the forgiveness of enemies and to commend to the nations as practical politics the search for cooperation and peace. End quote. Now this was written in another turbulent time in our history when the country was divided over the issue of civil rights and the Vietnam War. But go back even a century before that, at another time in history, since we're honoring presidents this weekend, when the country was divided by the Civil War. President Lincoln addressed the country at both Gettysburg and in his second inaugural address, and in both he removed himself from the message. There are very few personal pronouns in either of those speeches. He called the country to its highest moral ideals. In the final paragraph of the second inaugural, he concludes with these words, a country torn apart, more loss of human life in that war than all the other wars combined in our country's history. And he said, with malice towards none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to do all that may achieve and cherish a lasting peace among ourselves, and with all nations. See, the moral imperatives of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount have set the standard more than once in our history and has shown the way to heal the country and to heal the brokenness in our own lives. And the teachings of Jesus, which are intended to help us, are not easy to understand. They can be shocking, 
And they often are dismissed as idealistic and utopian. But they also awaken our imagination. And they force us to contemplate a different sort beyond the usual and the natural way that we react to things and think about things. And in a world where the courts need to separate angry litigants and armies patrol our borders and where generosity is measured and forgiveness is hard to come by, God's values and commitments just seem so strange. And yet the Lord seems to promise to us a whole new beginning in human relationships. The way you break the cycle of violence is not to be passive, not to seek retaliation, but you actively respond to force with a disproportionate offer, a gift of love and kindness. It's completely disarming. And it's not necessarily because it's effective or it will draw out your enemy's kindness and human capacity for good, although that often happens. The article by Phil Clay goes on to say, early in the encounter with Iraq, people on the other side dropped their weapons and came over. But not since they heard about torture the way we were treating our enemies. Force is not the best change agent. Love is. Sam Nunn, former senator, commenting upon the end of the Cold War, said, it ended not in a nuclear inferno, but in a blaze of candles in the churches of Eastern Europe. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Romans Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, today... Let us together determine to leave here dedicated to the highest ideals and with malice toward none and with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right. Let us strive on to finish the work we are in to bind up this nation's wounds and may the Lord bless us and keep us, and may the Lord make his face to shine upon us. Amen.